CLS is go for main engine, start. Go at throttle up. Negative return. Then we see a nominal Miko. Welcome to space. Hello, friends. Happy Thursday. Welcome to Off Nominal. Uh, Jake, we've got a real professional on the line today. Oh, you're muted. You've muted yourself. This is how unprofessional Jake is. Jake has muted himself. It says, it's on my screen, what I'm reading right now, it says, guest has muted themselves, is what I'm... <laughs> no? All right, here, let's see. I can't unmute you. So you, you worked that one out. I'm going to go over to the real professional that we got with us. <laughs> Gary Jordan of NASA, how is it going? Jake has Jake has left the stream. He quit. <laughs> he totally quit. <laughs> He's just completely left the stream. Am I back? Am I back? You're back. <laughs> the the mute it had like the little mute sign over my face, yeah. and then the mute button did nothing. It Not was just clickable. like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right after we got done talking with Gary about how we were so good at remote interviews, we're just and... like, yeah, we got this figured out. Mm -hmm. uh, this is this is this is the kind of day I'm having. So this yeah. is uh, very yeah. Jake's mid move good. right now. I think that plant in his background is the only thing left in his house, other than the microphone. Yeah, there's so... like this microphone, this computer, that plant. The whole house is empty. There isn't. There isn't even a bottle opener, so that's that's one. <laughs> he opened two boxes: the microphone box and the plant box. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, so we're here. Thank you, Lee. Oh, man, okay. I'm excited to get this started because yeah, this has been it's been hard for me. So I um yeah, so I, I'm moving, and I I don't even have a fridge in this house. So I was like, how do I get like how do I come here in the morning to work? and then have a cold drink for three o'clock in the afternoon. Like, what do I do? So I decided, well, I'll just, I have a, an hour beforehand. I'll just walk out to the store right before and then walk back and, and bring it cold from the store, right? Because there's like a convenience store. <laughs> and I realized that my wife took the car and she has my mask in it. I'm the only mask in the house. And, and here where I live, we still have a mask mandate. So you can't go into stores without one. I was like, oh no. And it's like 20 minutes for the show. And I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> Anyway, I solved that one way or another and yeah. then finally brought I brought this home. So this is there's oh, no this. creativity today. No Gosh. creativity now, Jake, at all. Jake, I just, this is maybe similar, you know, I don't this is not as not as quite well known as the Tecate that you used to drink no, down there. No. But, uh, well uh, Well, yeah. In some places. A very small <laughs> beer brand Tecate. <laughs> yeah, the very small unknown. Anyway, so I have a corona and I'm excited to be yeah. hanging out with you today, Gary, because this is uh this is gonna make the day go better, I think. So cheers. Oh yeah. Good, good. Yeah, cheers to you guys. Yeah, I heard you. Let's see, I brought okay. uh I brought yeah, I brought so I brought a hot drink, right? I uh, have a long night, so this oh, is nice. just uh this is a single source Colombian uh, espresso mix, so I got a hot drink, mm. and then well, I'm on the clock, so I can't I can't participate <laughs> on, with the beer yet. So uh, I got uh, just regular sparkling water oh, too, yeah. just uh, as a backup. So two drinks, yeah. I like the fancy hot drink. I have some Chianti, yeah. and I know I I poured a lot into this. Nice, place, so <laughs> that's good. This is a pretty very cheap good. one. Cheers. This Rufino Chianti is like very cheap, and it's very delicious. So there's a couple different that's lines the, of Rufino, right? There's like Chianti Classico and whatever. This one that's a blue label that's just Chianti, I think is the cheapest and it's the best. So 
that's the best combo is cheap and cheap and good. Oh yeah. Cheap and the, good. I'm going to say yeah. this though, about this particular show between the, the Corona and the cheap Chianti and the sparkling water. This is the <laughs> lowest we've spent on drinks on any episode. <laughs> of by, by far. <laughs> it's like, we're all saving up I'm for glad. some near future travel. That's going to be very expensive or something. Yeah. I'm so happy to have set the bar so low guys. This is this great. Is a commercial off the shelf drinks edition of off. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Well, I saw so that bad. one, Jake. Jake, I saw the one episode you did where you had like a mix of like it was like vodka and uh, it was like a coke with milk. What was that fancy drink oh, that you God. did? You oh, said you yeah. have to like pour it just right. <laughs> yeah, it's called a paralyzer. It's like a Western Canadian special. So if you, oh, okay. if you go to Alberta, everyone like you can. Everyone will know what it is. It's very normal. You can totally just walk up to any bar and order it. You leave Alberta, and everyone's like, "I'm, I'm sorry, a what?" <laughs> Well, that was my expectation, and then I, and then I got a Corona Extra over here. He he changes it up. It's uh, he's a man of mystery down there. So we'll see yeah, when he moves yeah, into the new yeah. house how fancy his drink setup becomes. Again. Yeah, this so. this is the last show in That's this house, true. and I, ne- next next episode I'll be able to return to my liquor cabinet and build something nice again. So we'll see. Awesome. All right, where are we digging in? Because we got we got a lot of topics about. Being oh, cool. uh, space communicators, generally, I would say. But yeah, um, yeah. Gary, I'm curious to dig into your role a little bit because when we were thinking of like, all right, which topics are we digging into with Gary? I find it interesting when people always compare because we're in the we're humans, we compare things, right? Everyone's comparing NASA streams to SpaceX streams to this stream to other streams, whatever. But I find it interesting in in that a lot of cases, um, there it's less it's less common these days to have people that are like your full time role is public affairs and communications and i find that difference like pretty drastic in that what you spend your days on are different than what the spacex commentators spend their days on and i'm just curious to dig into like what is your day-to-day as somebody who's focused on that full-time at johnson space center like what does it actually consist of versus the tip of the iceberg that we see when you're wearing cool jackets on a live stream (laughs) i love that question because um uh, to frame that, I think it's more, it captures a little bit more probably than, than you think. Cause, uh, you're right. My focus is really human spaceflight uh, and everything that that is. So I've, I've, most of my career has been stuff in low earth orbit. So space station, uh, SpaceX flights, uh, Boeing, uh, I'm starting to right now I'm, I'm working real hard on Artemis. Um, so it's just, it's, 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 it is very focused in that sense, not as broad of a, you know, focusing on like the different aspects of space. Like you guys do a lot with SpaceX. And then I saw you had, you were talking to someone on James Webb. I don't deal with like anything that's like not anything that doesn't have a human in space. I don't typically touch it, but how we we're communicate James is Webb space telescope did not require a human in space. So we would have been more concerned <laughs> if you did have involvement on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know I would be concerned too. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, but, but the thing is like for this role, the communication, the ways that we communicate, there are just so many different ways. So you got, you see, you see me right with the, uh, on, on the live streams with the, uh, with the broadcast, that's probably like 15% of my job. A lot of it is dealing with like talking points, a lot of writing, a lot of meetings. Um, the podcast is just a gig that I, uh, despite my, you know, my, my manager is saying like, this is not something you have to do. I just love doing it. So it's just something that I actually like dedicate time to. Um, but there's just like, there's so many things that we're, we're involved. 
I was involved in a large capacity with like the communications negotiations between like SpaceX, Axiom and NASA whenever we were putting together the AX1 mission, right? Like how that whole strategic communications plan was going to work. And I was like, that's where I spent a huge amount of my time was like building the foundation for which we can do, you know, eventually get in front of the camera. But it was like, you know, you're in front of the camera for just like a couple of days where really it's months and months and months of, of planning. So that's really, yeah, that's, it's, it's a, it's a huge mix of just a lot, like a lot of different things. Yeah. That must be really interesting to have to like the AX1 is a really good example of like having to coordinate so much stuff because you have one provider who's running the mission, another provider who's flying the mission, and then you guys were hosting it. I guess I don't I host I don't know if the right word is, but you're the destination, and so you're involved too. And and you know there's all this like stuff playing around. Like is I, I assume it takes up a ton of time, but like what do you how do you approach like, a problem like that? Like do you have any like kind of new strategies that you're working on in terms of, you know, dealing with this new world where that can happen now, all of a sudden, it's not just all NASA all the time. hundred percent. In fact, a lot of my job was trying to get a lot of the folks at NASA to understand that this is a completely different thing from what we normally do. Like, we, like I have a lot of guys in, in our office that uh, were just, are just shuttle veterans. They've been at NASA for 30 plus years. They have a lot of experience with shuttle and shuttle was just was a great program. It was a massive program, um, but it was very NASA focused. Then you take this whole new model where it's like, um, for example, the AX-1 mission was just so, so different because it was a, the, the vehicle was a commercial vehicle that we of course helped out to eventually bring online and test and fly, you know, the first flights were all NASA astronauts. Um, but it's a commercially owned vehicle. That's not a NASA vehicle. And then the customers are, are, are Axiom customers, but their destination is space station because NASA enabled all of that. So it's like, exactly to your point, like who owns this? <laughs> you know, like what is <laughs> like, what, like, what do we do? Um, it was, it was definitely, charge? I mean, I know, right? Right? the thing that Jason Davis said one time when we were doing the show where he was like, what if Kennedy didn't hand over control of the shuttle to Johnson after it cleared the tower? Like, then what happens? It was just a thing I've never thought about. <laughs> it's like, you know, completely arbitrary. But like, yeah, what if what if SpaceX was like, no, we're doing the communications from launch all the way through. And it's like, well, you're only so much in charge until they get up to the space station because then it's all of our stuff. And like, so it's I don't know, it's like one of those one of those things, like any part of the economy that's like it exists more in our mind than than it does in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ultimately what it came down to, like we, we all set, like we all got together and we were meeting on an almost weekly basis, which was really cool. You know, NASA and Axiom and SpaceX all in these weekly tags, like let's figure out how to tell this story. Uh, but ultimately like the launch, for example, we, we decided from a, from a practical perspective, the launch was the responsibility of SpaceX and Axiom. It wasn't necessarily like a NASA responsibility. But then when you got to the vicinity of the International Space Station, when you started the joint operations, like the space station flight control team was in charge of that operation. So naturally, like we needed to be not only folded into that mix, but really, really own it. Um, and then it was just a matter of collaborating on how we all tell the story together. So ultimately, you know, like to, to skip all the way ahead to the final product, we ended up coming up with a way where we could all be a part of the storytelling um, and we distributed it on NASA, we distributed it on Axiom uh, st st uh, streaming, SpaceX streaming. Everybody was, you know, for the most part, happy. Everybody got their story told, but it was just a matter of just bringing that 
bringing that all together. And because because it's it's totally different. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a commercial era. So it wasn't NASA's place to come in with a position of you know forceful strength of saying like no this is NASA you know this is every we're doing everything you know this whole mission is enabled by NASA that's not you can't you can't come in that way because it's just everything's changing right I mean this is a commercial industry is investing so much into this um, it is is a commercial industry they have customers uh, they have different stakeholders that NASA doesn't have so ultimately we came up with a model. And uh, I think it worked out. We did a we did a very detailed review afterwards of just you know how did it go? A couple of tweaks here and there, but I think for private astronaut missions going forward, you're going to see the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I I thought them like you know to NASA's credit, I, I remember the the first time I sort of noticed that things were, were going to be different was was, I, it was either DM1, I think it was DM2, but either DM1 or DM2, both, you know, which was like the first really kind of go at it. And there was, it was like a cool moment because I remember like the SpaceX stream would fire up and then there was a SpaceX employee on one side and then a NASA employee standing right next to them, right? And there was like the COVID screen between oh, them. But, <laughs> yeah. and, then, <laughs> and that was in Hawthorne and then vice versa over in Florida, right? They had, you know, the tr- traditional they did NASA like a sort of agreement. As some would yeah, say, yeah, <laughs> it was it was a crew exchange exactly. And I, I I remember thinking at that moment, like, wow, this is really cool. Like, this is really um, because I think everyone was sort of wondering, like, is NASA gonna like you know bring down the gauntlet and be like, no, this is you know because that kind of was their mission, even though it was a commercial provider, it was a NASA customer and a NASA mission to a NASA destination. Like, you could have you could have put the gauntlet down there, mm-hmm. but but it was kind of nice to see sort of the I don't know the the partnership. So I guess. It, well, it, it seems wasn't, to me to like, your point, like it wasn't like that for a while, right? There, there would be the original cargo mm-hmm. missions were like SpaceX was doing a stream and NASA was doing a separate stream. And even, you know, if you can look at the launches out of Baikonur that kind of have like a, the Roscosmos stream and the NASA stream in that similar vein. But what Jake's talking about is that moment when it was like, oh, no, let's just do the co-stream thing. So I, maybe you can peel back the onion on like when the co-streaming idea came about and like what was the driver there? Was it just like, ah, this feels dumb to do two different streams or was there something more behind it? Yeah, I, th- I think it, that was sort of the core of it is we were approaching this this time where we knew there were going to be more eyeballs on these, these launches and these missions than any time before, right? You talked about like these parallel streams for cargo missions. Yeah, that sort of existed, especially in its, in its infancy. We didn't put like, we didn't have a lot of time dedicated to figuring out that, that uh, you know, that approach where we can do something together. But with a launch like DM2, DM2 was just enormous. I mean, like what ended up when we, we actually like did the stream, we counted, I think somewhere around the order of 12 million concurrent viewers for that launch on the NASA streams. It was just, we knew it was going to be big, right? So honestly, the beginning of that approach, like, okay, this is going to be big. We have to do it together. So that was like, we had that we set into the, into the talks with the end goal being like, this has got to be, this has got to be the same thing. We have to have one voice. Right. And the thing is like, you know, NASA has uh, one way of doing things and, and commercial industry has a completely different thing. And then on top of that, there's a lot of challenges with NASA being a technically a federal government distributor of information. And with that comes a lot of restrictions on what we can and cannot show. Right. Like we can't, there's a reason we don't run ads. It's because it's illegal, right? We can't do that. So, yeah. <laughs> and with that, the, at, a, at that moment, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the podcast, net can't run an ad. So it's all, it's completely ad free. So, so it's, um, you know, though I would, I would like to, that'd be nice. But anyway, um, <laughs> 
maybe just get some free stuff, but I can't, I can't legally do that. Kirkland, um, sparkling water. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, so there was challenges with that, right? I mean, like if, if SpaceX wants to do a stream in order for that stream to go concurrently on NASA.gov, they have to realize a lot of the restrictions that go into that. And so some of the language they use, right. We, we obviously want to share the SpaceX story, but then like there's these restrictions when it comes to distributing information that we can't necessarily like endorse SpaceX or so the language has to be very carefully coordinated um, because we are technically, you know, we don't want to be seen as like propaganda, right? Mm -hmm. uh, taxpayer funded, taxpayer funded uh, endorsements of a company. That's just, that's just a no, no. Right. So we, and, and there's really good logic behind that as to why, we have to enforce yeah. those things. It took a long time, but uh, eventually we settled on the pro. So the program you see now where we cover, uh, I think it's like four hours prior to launch. We start with suit up and we go all the way uh, up to launch. That program was very carefully coordinated with all of the language uh, reviewed and approved so that it, it was sound on both ends. SpaceX was happy. NASA was happy. And honestly, you know, you can you can see that there that was that yielded good results because whatever we used for DM two has been a lot of it has been continuing all the way up to you know the Crew four launch, and, and we'll see a lot of the same for Crew five. We're talking about sustainability, right? Because a lot of resources go into these streams. So, what makes the most sense? Where are our viewers listening, watching most? Where can we capital push the most amount of resources and then, and then pull back a little bit where we don't necessarily have as much viewership, right? Because 12 million was DM2. That was huge. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the, what we put into it had, had significant payoff. But let's th talk about a sustainable approach where um, we're being very smart about the resources we're putting into how many viewers we're actually getting. So you might see a couple tweaks yeah. in, in, in uh, coming up here, but it, 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 you can tell like the, the messaging from the, from the joint perspective of NASA and SpaceX, the, that's going to stick. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine there has to be like, there has to be extra care put into, um, you know, if something goes wrong and, and thankfully the SpaceX flights have all been pretty flawless, but I know that from your end, you probably have to at least put some kind of plan into place. Like, you know, what happens if there's a, if there's a, a big problem, right. Um, and then coordinating that with, with SpaceX, it's gotta be a whole new thing. Cause, cause at least before you were hundred percent in control of the information. Right. But now theoretically SpaceX can go and say things that, I don't know, maybe, maybe NASA doesn't like that. <laughs> Built into the structure of our broadcast, and I'd say I'd even go as far as to say half of that time I talked about, which was, uh, you know, the, the months and months of planning to actually execute that joint mission with SpaceX. I'd say about half of it was really keeping in mind what do we say? How do we approach this if things go wrong? And so even to this day, uh, like we earlier, earlier today, 10 o'clock today, we just had a massive call with about 80 people from um, different companies and, and even international partners on the communications aspect of things specifically for Artemis One. Uh, and mm. what, what is the core messages? What is the, what is the phone trees, the, 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 um, the talking points, if something were to go wrong, you need to have everybody hundred percent on board with that, especially the commentators. Anyone you see, anyone whose face you see in front of the camera is fully prepared for a bad day um, with, and, and it's known exactly what to do. That's most of our training, really. I mean, ahead of, ahead of a lot of these launches, it's one thing to have like an on-camera presence and to, to know how to talk and engage an audience 
but a lot of the training is sitting down in the sims with the flight controllers and going through bad days and knowing exactly how to communicate that understanding the vehicle like i know the spacex dragon so incredibly well because of how many sims i've gone through and all the intricate systems and what that means for what decisions the flight controllers may make i have that in the back of my mind so i can um whenever they're talking about all of these things on the loops i can regurgitate that in an informed fashion and go through our contingency response plan it's it's very carefully coordinated that's like that's a ton of our planning is uh is is specifically for that you also have that balance to to like you know the of the 12 million people that were watching that dm2 stream they weren't all nerds that are watching this show <laughs> So you have that balance between the, the, you know, who's watching. You've got, like, Gen Pop watching that's tuning in because they saw the launch mentioned on the Today Show in the morning, and you would need to explain things to them, whereas there's, like, people that we're friends with that are like, tell me about the coolant loops. I want to know about the coolant loops. And it's like, I don't have time to tell you about the coolant loops because I need to explain why there are people flying to space today. Um, but I don't know, like, if do you have, like, different personas that you write to, or, or do you try to just do the best common denominator? Um, across the board? Yeah, it honestly depends on the medium. I think for for launch broadcasts, you, you sort of, like, for anything you do, you, of course, try to capture the widest possible audience. But to your point, you know, you, 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 you want to cater to the folks that want to get into the details. And so we have certain sections in our broadcast that are catered exactly to those people. Like, we did, like, a detailed look at, like, an engine, a flown engine, and we detailed the... Uh, a Draco thruster one time and show the different components of it and got into a little bit of a nerdier details than we typically typically do but it's got to be balanced right like like a lot of the people for example that just want to see the launch and they just a high level they just want to see the smoke and fire you know we, we have you know we, sh we we show that and that's that's perfectly fine ooh look you know cool rocket but um but especially in that time where it's like ooh look cool rocket, you have to think about really what we think about in terms of our approach to that. And the reason you see the way that we do the broadcast where we're focusing on the rocket, a lot of that, remember I was talking about like a lot of our design is for that bad day. Like that's, that's why that is. You do, like, we don't purposely, you don't see a face during that whole ascent profile because you don't need to see the face. You need to see the rocket. I have to be doing the ascent commentary and actively listening to flight control loops um, to hear, to make sure everything looks good, everything's nominal. And when I hear those words, I spit them right back out because I'm like, this is good. This is a good day. The flight control teams are happy, <laughs> um, you know, but I'm listening for those key things. Um, like, and then, and then, for example, like uh, there was one, there's one moment that comes to mind that I'm thinking about it. If you guys remember Crew 2, I think it was Crew 2. Yeah, Crew 2 Splashdown. Do you remember when only three of the mm. of the four parachutes inflated, like, oh, yeah. fully? The, the, the fourth We're one inflated. The boaters, but, then, but we should maybe circle back to the boaters, but we should... We'll, start, <laughs> we'll, start, <laughs> we'll circle back to, uh, I think, what was referred to as the pleasure boaters. But we'll circle back to that. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was the... I was on uh, commentary for that, and it was that was an interesting one, because the, like, the flight control team, I was just listening. When I saw that image of the fourth shoot... I was just waiting to hear, I was listening to the uh, flight control team. And when I heard, uh, you know, descent rate nominal, you know, the inflation's a little slow, but descent rate nominal, uh, splashdown is expected on time. 
that to me told uh, told me that you know everything was okay, and I needed to regurgitate that immediately, right? So so when you hear me when you heard me come on that says like descent rate is nominal, that was um, that was really right after we heard from the flight control team that they were looking at this image, they're studying the trajectory, they're making the calculations and they're like, okay, everything's fine. So that was like, it's really important to stay like fully engaged. Yeah. Like that's, that's kind of wild when I think about it. Cause you're basically like, you're listening to a loop and then you're processing all that information through like a little algorithm in your head that is like thinking about, okay, what is, what is this person saying? What does it actually mean? Is, you know, is this, bad but long run okay or bad and long run bad as well uh what am i allowed to say as a federal government agency what is proprietary information from <laughs> no, spacex no like four letter words exactly <laughs> no you have to process no, all that <laughs> in like real time and then say it like because we're all you know we we're on top of that we see the parachute we're mm-hmm. like what is happening i need i need gary jordan to tell me something right now yeah. what is going on right <laughs> that's i don't know that's pretty wild the now old, that i'm the sort of processing word that we're all saying is gary? <laughs> gary? <laughs> gary tell me words gary um no <laughs> but uh yeah no it takes hmm. it takes a it takes a lot of training um, it's, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot, but you, you just have to, like a lot of our time, uh, as like in the, you asked about like one of your initial questions was, was like this role is a lot of it is spent like studying, like a lot, a lot of studying, studying the, like what can, what can go wrong, getting to know the vehicle, getting to know the operations, getting to know the people, right. Cause the people are a lot smarter than you are when it comes to this stuff. And they can, they can inform you a lot of the flight directors, like the early flight directors for, for demo one and crew one. They sat down, or demo two rather, and crew one. They sat down with us, uh, the, the commentators, and like we did like a hour long like deep dive and got to ask all the questions that we wanted to ask. They dedicated time for us to learn uh, whatever we whatever gaps we had in our knowledge at that time. We we filled in like a couple weeks ahead of launch. That was huge. They were very generous with their time on that. But yeah. Hmm. How tricky does that get in certain instances that may or may not have happened in the last year in which the space station did an unexpected backflip? Uh, and you have, you have because of the nature of the partnership with SpaceX and Boeing and, and Northrop Grumman and all that, you have insight into their process at a level that you're never going to have with Roscosmos or even some other partners on the ISS. Um, what was going on then? Like that, I'm sure it was bewildering to try to figure out what actually was happening there but like how does that process differ when you don't have the hours sitting down with somebody who's worked on that you know uh maybe you did talk to somebody that worked on nauka's systems but i doubt it was the same amount of time that you spent with the people that worked on dragon mm-hmm. it's all about the people man it's all that's that's another part of the job is uh another thing to know is this job is absolutely 24 7 i remember i remember there was the um for the leak a couple of years ago I got a call at three in the morning, Gary, the space station is late and we need you to come in. And I was there like, you know, 20 minutes later, I was in mission control at the PAO console and it's all about the people, right? So I have to work in that instance, I was at the PAO console, I was listening to the loops and anytime there was any anything about an update, go over to the flight director and make sure that the flight director approved every word that I was gonna say out to the public. Cause I was actively listening and I was writing blog blog updates um but i needed the flight director to carefully look at those words 
because it's not it's not just me that has to like listen and interpret right that's that would there would be probably misinformation if i did that i need to check with the flight director a lot of the times i need to check with the programs and that's another complicated thing is this is an international space station so uh, we need, we were looping in our colleagues at ESA, at JAXA, at, at CSA the entire time and letting them know exactly what we were doing and keeping them informed so they can keep their st stakeholders informed. So a lot of times when you see delays like that, when you see like something happen and you and you want to know like really badly, like what's happening, we are we are deep in information gathering. We are trying to find out what is the truth? What is the story? What is the accurate piece of information? There's like this interesting balance with trying to get information out quickly, but when it comes to space, space is so complicated and includes a lot of different players and stakeholders, that level of accuracy has to be very carefully considered mm -hmm. before you rush rush something out, right? Make sure that leadership knows exactly what you're saying because they are going to be some of the first people that have to answer to some high-level folks, right? So it has to go throughout this chain. It's a massive organization, so a lot of people have to have eyes on these things before they actually go out. And there's a really good reason for that, right? The, I mean, the public is obviously one of our key stakeholders. The public needs to know this information. That's why we do what we do. That's why we write these updates and get them out. But there's a lot of other people that need to know. And everybody's got to be on board with the same information and have accurate information that we're going to put out. And that sometimes takes a lot of time. So it's, it's all about people. That's, the, that's, that, the, that's, that's the saying <laughs> about where if you're a pilot, there's that saying, aviate, navigate, communicate, where like... Make sure yeah. you're still flying your plane. Make sure you're flying in the right direction and then tell people where you're flying it. And in your yeah. case, you're like, you can't be like going right up to their console being like, what's going on? You know, like, why, <laughs> why is the space station upside down? Like, you can't be doing that when they're trying to make it go the right side up. You know, it's like, can you? You're not, you're not me, are you? I just got a blog update. Send your tweet so. later. I'm trying to flip the station back over. Just give me a second. <laughs> yeah. 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 And if you, and if you exactly. get it wrong, we will be all over you on Twitter. Like, let me tell you, we, we will know and we will be, we'll be very upset and critical and tell you all the ways you messed up. So that's, that's, uh, that's <laughs> no, are you kidding me? Twitter's so nice and gentle. Yeah. Well, they're that's very great. kind and patient, yeah. right? Why yeah. is the space station mm -hmm. upside down? If I knew it wouldn't be upside down right now, like there's not, <laughs> I didn't mean to do this. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. If Tom Cruise ends up making this movie in space, he needs to do the Top Gun, uh, inverted flipping the bird scene, but with the space station. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> they can we'll give our ad they need folks any... a heart attack yeah. with that shot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> huh. Huh. Okay. All right. Uh, so I guess maybe we should talk a little bit about Artemis because that, because this is one that's coming up. I think this is a, obviously a pretty exciting one. So first of all, do you ex expect Artemis to be bigger or smaller than the uh, DM2 12 million? What do you think? What's your gut on this one? Are we thinking this is a, a bigger or smaller event? Bigger. I think it's going to be bigger. bigger. Really? Yeah. Ooh, all right. Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, like the, the guest, the guest list for Florida is, is astounding. I think all the hotels are set out, are sold out. We, and it's for a very good reason. It's astounding. Yeah. See, it's just like, I don't even know how they have the bodies to support as many people as they're supporting, but it's just like, imagine I can, I need to, in my lifetime, go to an Artemis launch. I have to work in Houston for this one. Um, but this, it like, this is going to be absolutely incredible to see the SLS. Like you're going to feel it like you've never felt any launch before. Like we've all missed um, the Saturn V. So this is like our Saturn V where you're just going to actually like feel the earth shake kind of thing. It's just, 
mm-hmm. it's going to be unbelievable. And I know there's no humans on it right now. I think like Artemis two and Artemis three are just going to be, I mean, they're going to be worldwide events there. I mean, I, I, I would anticipate hundreds of millions of viewers for, for some of these things. This one, I, I think might top demo two. Now there's no humans on it. So I don't know, but, um, it's, it's, it's going to the moon. It's like this, it's, it's, it, even though there's no humans on it, this is like kicking off something, something very real and something very imminent and soon that I think a lot. And there's just worldwide support and excitement for, this mission because i mean it's a test mission right but it's like it's it's happening it's real we're going to the moon so i I think it's going to i i I have a feeling now i mean i'm saying it so i guess you have to quote me but i don't want you to quote (laughs) me but um i have a feeling it's going to exceed demo two in terms of viewership I mean, I like that. That's good. Yeah. To to equate it, you know, EFT1, um, it was a weird time because, um, Titusville down there had, was kind of out of their reps, right? It had been a couple of years since the shuttle flew. They didn't, a lot of stuff shut down after the shuttle left because they just weren't having millions of people flood in every couple of weeks for a launch. And I remember being there for it. There was people that, you know, you'd talk to like people running hotels or restaurants and being like, yeah, this is wild. Like I, this broke all of our operations for everything that we have going on in this area. And it has now been more times since that. And there's been some big events, Falcon Heavy, DM2. There's been some things that drew crowds, but not to the same scale that shuttle launches did, certainly. Um, so, like, if that gets to that same level again, it's now it's been like 10 years since that. And no one, all of those muscles have atrophied. Like, I don't think people really <laughs> remember how long it took you to drive home from Titusville after a launch and how much those roads <laughs> can't handle. And that's the part that I'm interested to see, especially now, like after all these years of people not being able to go to in-person events. Um, and, you know, like the imagery from Space Coast the last couple of years on the bigger events have been, has been wild. Even amidst the pandemic, DM2 was like, you know, the shots of people on the causeway was just right. unreal. So having that within the visuals of, of Artemis 1 and even like Jake and I remember from being at Falcon Heavy and seeing the way that the uh, trees had been cut down between the press site and where 39B is. Uh, the visual is so much different than what it used to be where there was like a bunch of trees in the way. Now it's like, man, that thing is sitting right there. I feel like I'm way too close to this rocket. I'm not quite Richard Garriott range at this rocket, but I'm like a little too close to this giant thing. Uh, it's going to be spectacular. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. going to be great. Um, I feel like I, you should book your ticket for Artemis 2 and beyond. I don't even know. Let's but know. If you know yeah. the date, then hit us up. <laughs> We'd love to get a, a reservation on that one. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny too because you mentioned that we we Anthony I've been I've been trying to like read the tea leaves like like how confident is NASA on this August 29th date like you know we're we're like we're pouring over every press release you put yeah. out for like keywords and we're it's like writing words okay, in blog posts and sending yeah. each other like what does this one mean yeah <laughs> um, so so I'm actually I'm taking the the fact that you had a very large meeting about communications and I'm taking that as a as a good green check mark in my like like co- the confidence scale is <laughs> sliding Day towards thing the thing that you've got in the background. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the whole book. Yeah, so that's good. I like that. <laughs> it's a long mission, though. This is what's weird. I want to talk to you about. It's yeah, like, this yeah, is yeah. a forty-day mission. Um, that is. I don't know if you know about news cycles, Gary. That's a lot of news cycles. Uh, <laughs> so what? Well, what it's, does like, that it's, it's for funny. You? It's funny because uh, so so another one like another big project I worked on very recently was uh, Johnson Space Center hosted uh, Media Day. 
just last week. It was last Friday. We, we invited a bunch of people here. I think we had like 60 plus media come out and we showed them everything going on at the Johnson Space Center. And I was pulsing them about like, you know, what, what are your stories? You know, what's your angle? Like, who do you want to talk to kind of thing? Because we have a lot of subject matter experts and a lot of things to show. And they were like, you know, a lot of people don't even know this is happening. And I guess like you have to pull back a second and kind of realize that because all of us are in this world and I think we're so excited for for Artemis 1. But I guess I I didn't really consider that like outside of this space bubble that sometimes we always operate on, some people have to be approached about this mission from like the very beginning. Like Artemis is a mission where we're going to be returning humans to them. Like we have to start at the very ground level um, for some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think like a lot of that, I think a lot of people are going to watch the launch, right? You asked about like sustaining the different news cycles. I think a lot of people are going to, are going to just watch the launch and then they're going to forget about it. I think a lot of people, um, especially at that level where they don't even know that this mission is happening right now. And the only thing they're going to hear is that there's a launch coming up. I think they're going to watch the launch and they're going to forget about the splashdown. Um, but there's a lot of people that care about this mission all the way through. And so a lot of our communications, that we're planning for is really continuous, like day-to-day support and coverage to make sure the folks that want to know the most get all of it. Um, so that's really what we're catering to. So it's, I guess, you know, like you're, you're going to have to work with- stream personally. You're going to sit there on camera for 40 days. <laughs> <laughs> just like just keep my eyes like-, like <laughs> Fast food is being delivered right to your console. <laughs> it's like a telecon, uh, it's like a, uh, you know, like a telecon where there's like a number to dial and you can order food for Gary. And it's like, what does he want next? He wants, you know, vote here. Does he want a, a hoagie or a pizza? What is he getting next? Yeah. <laughs> That'll be oh, our man. polls, our social media polls when we're doing the coverage. What kind of food is Gary getting today? I mean, you, you no, must but, be able to score some pretty good moments with like like a live stream from the moon. Like you know, I, I don't I don't really know what the the video capabilities are going to be on Orion, but you'll you'll at least get some pretty nice shots of the moon. Yeah, I there's assume. a camera out on one of those solar arrays, I think. Right, I'm pretty sure. Got it. Yeah, right? multiple, multiple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could, like Orion's going to take selfies and stuff like that. But it's it's all competing for data because once you get on the deep space network, you know, I don't think that we don't have a lot of people are fighting for data. And there's a lot of stuff that wins over a continuous stream, like, you know, like spacecraft test data is going to win over like a, a nice <laughs> continuous stream. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of, there's Don't a lot win of in Artemis too, though. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the deep space network is not all exclusively Artemis too. So there's a lot of other users of that. Right. So we just, we, we have to share um, and, and be nice to that, but we're, we picked our moments and there's going to be like key elements, key times where we're going to be getting streams and, and nice, like high resolution photos and stuff. One of the key moments that we definitely don't want to miss is Earthrise, right. Or earth set, depending on which, which day we launch, but that's going to be spectacular. Mm-hmm. We don't want to miss that. So uh, we'll, we'll get some of those uh, and, you know, we'll be sending out updates and sharing as much as we can. But it's not it is not going to be continuous. And in fact, our commentary is not going to be continuous either. We'll we'll staff for all of the different um, like key moments, like big critical burns, big maneuvers, make sure everything's OK, kind of kind of thing. Um, but we'll be sending out regular updates. But, you know, 42 days. You're right. If you had 24 seven coverage for 42 days that, that's, that's going to be a lot now here's the thing when we get to crewed missions it might look like that and, and but they're going to be much shorter typically i think i think for artemis 2 and beyond they're not going to be 40 something days i think it's like 20 at the highest so but it'll be continuous yeah 24 7 
Yeah, yeah, that's good. Hmm. Um, everyone is screaming at us to ask this question, but uh, will NASA will NASA be <laughs> will NASA be upgrading beyond 720p in time for Artemis one? What's the situation? It's like every as soon as we said we were talking to a comms guy, they were just I like, know. "When is it going to be? When is it going to be <laughs> HD?" <laughs> we're trying so hard. I can't I can't promise you that we're going to make it, but I can promise you that we are trying very hard. Um, to give everybody the best experience. Like, I think, I think one of our key goals as communicators is to have like at least 4k by the time we get to Artemis three, right? At least 4k streaming. So you can get like the most pristine views of people walking on the moon. Now, like there's engineering concerns with that. And of course I was talking about like competing on the deep space network for data and stuff like that. So we'll have to, it's going to be like a whole infrastructure thing, but I mean, like our, our current streaming capabilities is rooted, like all of the hardware is for 720p and it has been for years and years and years, which I understand is like, you know, we're like, we're well past 720p, but uh, <laughs> we're tr- I can, I promise you we are trying and that's the best that I could probably report at this time. I think that's all they want to hear. That's good. I think that's, that's, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. I know I, I saw, I can't remember who it was now, but there was someone who works at Kennedy who was in, uh, I, it wasn't a communications person, but it was someone in charge of like the, I don't know, the wires, I guess, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But they were, they were talking about how they were really trying to toggle the switch over to 4k for Artemis one. And so they were upgrading whatever, whatever boxes and cables you need to upgrade to do that, uh, down at the Cape. So hopefully we, hopefully we see some good stuff. It also definitely is harder than people think. Like, I mean, two or three weeks ago, Jake was away and I had Tim Dodd and Joe Barnard on the show and professional capital P capital Y professional YouTubers that like randomly devolved in the middle of the show to talking about how to stream their 4k content and like what hardware they use. And (laughs) all of a sudden they were like doing tech support for each other. And I'm like, all right, if if these two are doing this, then like, it's clearly hard because they are very proficient and they spend a lot of money on this hardware. (laughs) And so like if they could buy their way out of this problem, they probably would have already. And so I know that at, at even like, you know, add a couple of zeros scale that is, uh, any NASA operation, I'm, I'm sure it's, Herculean to turn, you know, a big ship because it's a gigantic ship when it's, you know, operating mm-hmm. at that level. So, yeah. And you guys like coordinate with so many other groups too. Like, it's not just like there's one camera on the ship you need to upgrade and then everything's good, but you got all these different NASA centers and then you've got different commercial providers who are, you know, taking care of different parts of the vehicle. Like, you know, we were, we were, watching the the james webb release right with the, all the, the photos and they were trying to coordinate with all those space mm. agencies and those poor uh, you know some things <laughs> yeah you know poor canadians got got to the and i know I, I you know i'm sure you've you've had discussions internally about it but like it didn't go as well as as everyone hoped it would right there were some there were some pretty uh large hiccups in there but i, I was thinking but i'm like man this is such a project like you're trying to like bring in and there was all these like like crowds in different auditoriums around the world and then all these space agencies and they're all connecting up with different software and different languages. And like, ah, it was a nightmare. Like I was like, you know what? I'm actually pretty happy. NASA even got the stream started to be honest. So like, this is pretty good (laughs) in my book. Yeah. You started this one off with your mic muted. So. You know, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> about, right? yeah. There's just a problem with the Canadians, I guess. That's the that's the real issue. Is that we can't we can't get it working. But <laughs> oh, I'm curious about the way yeah. that you, um, like the the way that you learn lessons now and try to transmit them to your future self. You were talking about Axiom One, and I feel like that is just a a little sampling of of the difficulty that you will find yourself in at, in like ten years. 
when the space stations are commercial and the way you get there is commercial, there's still NASA astronauts flying to these places. But like at that point, none of the hardware is like a NASA owned thing. Uh, are you trying to like write down some lessons from Axiom One and these other private astronaut missions? And I don't even know how you're conceptualizing what it will be like at that point. I don't know if you have insight into these commercial space station programs or what, but that seems like a problem for future Gary that I feel like current Gary is probably thinking about. <laughs> that is so true. Um, I, I probably will be going back to the commercial world after uh, Artemis One. I'm focusing on Artemis One now, but uh, I, I, um, that is definitely a, uh, that is definitely something to think about. After AX One, I spent probably about a month talking to as many stakeholders as I could from all the different NASA centers, from the commercial providers to uh, you know all these different people on lessons learned. I mean, it's like seriously, like a whole month after. Um, after AX1 was all data gathering. Because I mentioned like, you probably will see something very similar in terms of like how we coordinate for AX2 or and like all the different future private astronaut missions if we get if we get other providers uh, to do some of these things. But you're right, the goal, the ultimate goal is a completely commercial landscape, which means, you know, we'll have to start building on this lesson. We'll have to start building on what we've, what we've created for AX1 where... Axiom and and SpaceX and NASA all have a story to tell. How do we tell that story? And who's the owner of different things? Now, I mentioned, like, for example, like, once we get into the vicinity of the International Space Station, that is, like, the authority goes to NASA for the safety of the crew and, and, the, and the vehicle and everything. That totally changes when you have a commercial space station, right? I mean, then, like, the authority would have to go to some to some other uh, commercial company, whoever is running their space station. But at the same time, NASA has a vested interest in the safety of their crew members. We're obviously going to be flying NASA crew to these commercial stations. So we'll have to figure something out. So we're, so the, the, the answer, the, the, this is a long way to answer, but I definitely don't have it figured out. We are at, we're, we're at baby, baby step number, number, I guess, two, because, um, for CCP, for commercial crew, that was that was integrating the NASA and SpaceX story, a commercial vehicle flying government, civil servants, and astronauts. Like we did that, then we took it one step further for AX One with the it's a private citizens on a private spacecraft going to a government facility. So that's like step two, and then we'll you know we'll figure out the next step. Yeah. Hopefully that's not future Gary. Hopefully that's somebody else, and I can. <laughs> Well, that's, it's future Gary, but you'll be the associate administrator of communications yeah. and not people for that, right? Yeah. 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 Clearly, he's working his way up the see. political ladder right now. Yeah, yeah. by doing shows taking my way to the top. <laughs> oh, I, I just find that interesting because it it's going to take it's going to flip like where communications lands in the in the architecture of these missions because right now it's like NASA's doing missions, so they they hand you a bunch of stuff and like figure out how to communicate this. Now you're going to have to, like, I hate to break it to you, you might have to write some paperwork for requirements that these companies have to meet for the requirements that NASA has for how to communicate stuff since they're beholden to communicate, you know, data to the public. So it's not even that, like, you're just going to leave it up to Axiom and Northrop and Blue and, and NanoRacks to figure out how to communicate. That's going to be a legitimate requirement of the next round of the commercial space station program. Uh, and I, I just find that very curious that, like, I don't know the, all the stuff that you're talking about about the requirements of an individual stream. That's going to have to get passed on to like the requirements of an operational program, or else you're just going to have NASA astronauts like TikToking from commercial space stations and hoping that the Wi-Fi is good <laughs> enough. And I don't know that that's like a legitimate uh, strategy that you can rely on. But maybe they're good TikTokers. I don't know. 
Well, luckily, when when I was brought the best into, TikTok. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. L- luckily, I was brought into the negotiations uh, for the contract between NASA and Axiom really early, um, whenever they were first starting that relationship. And we actually have built into the to the contract a public affairs clause, which is very well thought out. And um, we we spent a lot of time putting a lot of the requirements for what NASA would need in terms of communications for, from the commercial provider. And we that was so important because because we defined our expectations as a government agency to the commercial provider and they by through the agreement were pretty much required to do that so that will be i mean we did it for commercial crew in a sense we expanded upon it a lot for ax1 that agreement exactly what you're saying anthony will be um will be exactly what we put into commercial like stations when flying crew like here's the agreement between the government and the commercial provider like here is your public affairs requirements and there will be a clause in there for for different streams and different like different capabilities but we it'll be on us it'll be on us to define that um as like a as essentially a customer of the commercial station it's interesting though because the uh, as Jake was commenting about you know those who tweet earlier um, the expectations that we as the outsiders have of what what should be communicated out what should be streamed what we should be able to see like we've taken that to heart and we roasted SpaceX and Inspiration Four over the outreach that they did during their mission and they had to deal with that about like no the crew's fine like everything's okay we just weren't planning on tweeting this way or sending out imagery. So like we've taken all of the, you know, we've taken for granted all the work that you guys are doing on the other programs <laughs> and like have now applied that to everything else that like we demand high res streams of what's going on inside the space. It's like, yeah, but they bought the flight. Like they can do whatever they want up there. They could fly up there and never tell you anything because they're not beholden in the same way. So it, as much as it is going to be NASA's requirement, like now we are, as the public holding them accountable for that outreach because we're just expecting that now. And I, and that's like another interesting aspect that. Yeah, so, so keep, keep bumping up those requirements so we can hold the other guys to the fire. We really appreciate exactly. that. Well, that's, that's, that's my job. You as a, as a tax paying citizen have the right to see what government civil servant astronauts are doing on a commercial station. And so it's my job to fight for your right to see everything that they're doing. I mean, that's why we share what we share is because like, you know, this is not, it's not a private flight. They're not private customers. They're doing a pretty much a government mission, right? And you as tax paying citizens have the right to see that. So, so we show because you have, that's, that's our job is to give you as much as, as you deserve. So we'll continue to fight for that. Absolutely. It is kind of funny to think about though, right? Because if we, if we send our minds into like a hundred years in the future, like I don't really have the right to know what you were doing on your flight to Kennedy Space Center when you were flying from Johnson to Kennedy to cover Artemis 1 or something like Gary what movie did you watch on that flight like I don't I don't care and I don't I shouldn't have to know what Netflix series you're binging while on route to Kennedy Space Center but like where we are in spaceflight right now it feels that way because there's if they're so rare and there's only a couple of them a year but when there's a thousand of them it's like we can't possibly even if we wanted to care, it's not possible for all of us to care about all those details. And when does that flip over? It's kind of, I don't know, maybe you want to just tell it, us what you're watching on these flights, though. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic, I'm though? I'm going to your Netflix history next time you're on a <laughs> <paid> for flight. <laughs> 
Oh man, isn't that fantastic though? Like where we are, if you think about like like there's so much going on in space that it's hard to keep up with all of it. There's just like commercial providers. There's so many international like there's so many countries that we're going to be working with and we're we're bringing on like there's more and more that want to be involved in space flight, more like people, and it's just it's so cool to see that much activity. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, like just very seriously, like we, I especially really appreciate that, that I, I know that you're kind of like legally required to do it in some cases, but the work <laughs> to, 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 tr- to, to be transparent is, is awesome because I, one of my, one of my pet peeves with like, you know, I don't know what you call it, just chatter out in the world, Twitter, internet, wherever you want to call it. But um, just like people that, that complain about NASA being slow and bureaucratic and can't get anything done and we should give everything to Elon Musk to do it because it's better. And then Elon Musk does it and we don't get to see it. And then they complain about that. I'm like, well, look, <laughs> it, this, this is, it's one and the other, like you can't have, you can't have a cake and eat it too. So, um, we, it's important, I think, to, to talk about how good it is that as a, not like as a, government agency nasa has to tell us all this cool stuff when we get to learn about it we get to see we get to have access to you uh, you know as as journalists we get to go and 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 tour facilities we get to listen to your podcasts and all this kind of stuff and hear all this kind of thing because it's 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 uh, government funded so i don't know i just that's my way of saying i guess thank you to you and everyone that does the work you do because uh it is it is pretty cool <laughs> yeah we try. We do, and we're trying to make it better too. So I mean, I know like we can't move as fast, and, and I explain the reasons why. Like, there's just so many people and so many stakeholders, and, and yeah, that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. It, it is, it is, it is relatively slow. But it's just a massive, massive operation. There's so many players. You can't be as as nimble if you have like very few stakeholders. But I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it'll be an ever evolving thing. I think if you guys keep demanding to the private industry that your expectations of what you should see, you know, I don't know. Maybe the landscape will change. Uh, so, so it's, it's good that we're talking about this. We're having these conversations. So, so we set those expectations for what we expect because the landscape is going to change. There's going to be private industries. They're going to be doing certain things. And I don't know, I feel like everybody should be sharing as much as they can. I know, I know we have to, but it's also like we want to, right? I mean, this is really cool stuff that we're doing. A lot of people that I work with, um, it's not really just a job doing this, like the public affairs job. It's like a passion. Like a lot of people really like love doing this kind of work. It's, it's really hard. It's a lot of hours, but, um, it's, there's a lot of passion and it's like, it's, it's definitely apparent with like doing this, right. You guys have this podcast because you're passionate about this kind of stuff. So, and, and this show, so I don't know. Yeah. I just I keep fighting for it. Tell us about your podcast, because you mentioned offhandedly that it was maybe not even sanctioned by those around you in the organization. Uh, <laughs> so where did that come from? Why did you start it? Tell us about it if people have not listened to it yet and give them the little pitch. Yeah, one, well, one of the one of the things I love about I loved about this job is um, that there's like a crazy amount of freedom when it comes to trying and exploring new ideas and things. And uh, we have this small group at NASA that sometimes uh, that gets together every once in a while and thinks about which ways are we not telling stories that we should tell stories. So like we explore new like social media, like things that people are doing and and maybe we're not caught up on. Um, And at the time I had moved into uh, the more towards downtown Houston and my commute got up to 45 minutes. So I started exploring podcasts um, and that was like the first time I really dove into it first thing I looked for was like a NASA podcast or like a space related podcast. 
and I didn't find like any at NASA that were that any, at least anything that I really wanted to listen to. So that's when I thought like, I'm going to go ahead and make this. Um, and so I pitched it to this group and I got some support and I got a small team and we started making these episodes. Um, and it was like, you know, I came up, I, I had a lot of shows that I really liked at the time. Um, like Nerdist and Star Talk and some of these like uh, some of these spacey shows, and um, I started uh, thinking about like how to structure it. Thought we would do a weekly cadence, and I thought I'll just reach out to folks in at NASA and see if they want to do it. And I started having these conversations, and it just sort of like it's just sort of took off. Like it got a, way more attention than I was expecting it to, and uh, I just had like a lot of fun with it because I have a ton of access to people at NASA. I think that's really the, the like the unique thing that sets the podcast apart mm-hmm. is I can just like email, email any one of my coworkers and be like, Hey, you want to come on my show? And they're like, absolutely. And then they like, they come down for a little bit. Um, and so we just have like this unprecedented access to all these different people and all these different stories. I thought for sure I'd run out of stories after a while. Um, just cause I was hitting a lot of the high level stuff at the very beginning. I was like, what is the international space station? What is Mars, what is, you know, spacesuits. Uh, but then we just like started diving into like deeper and deeper topics. Like we just do all, like I have a whole podcast on like subsystems, you know, like I have a whole podcast on just the imagery component of the Orion vehicle for the Artemis mission. And like, it's like an hour <laughs> with that guy. And I would just dive really deep into just, just the imagery part. Uh, and it was this like, is where it was you keep really the, where it would tell me about the coolants. This is where those people go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it's just fascinating and I have a really good time with it. So I, I don't want to give it up. Depend, no matter how busy I get, I never want to give it up. But, uh, well, as, as long as I can, as long as I can keep having conversations, I want this to be a thing, you know? Did, did you come up with the name? Cause it is a great name for a podcast. <laughs> it, o- it only, only you could do really. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. I came up with about 30 to 40 different names and, um, and this was unfortunately not mine. This was, this was someone oh, else okay. came up with this idea and it didn't really click with me when I first heard it. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I was like, that's a really good idea. But I sat on it. And then to your point, Jake, it was just like, there's literally no other name that I could, that I could have. It was just like, it's it, <laughs> at first, it's just like, it's perfectly punny and it captures exactly who we are. Um, but also like on a more serious note, like Houston, we've had a, we've had a problem like is really the core of just the best and the brightest of NASA Johnson. And like, there's this huge problem that happens and we got our guys home safely. Um, and it just like, it, it captures everything perfectly. And I was like, yeah, there's, yeah. there's really no, no other name. Yeah. Failure yeah, well, is not a podcast. Didn't it. work as well. <laughs> podcast is not an option. <laughs> I don't know. The other ones don't work as great. Yeah, I love podcast is not an option. It's like, wait, then what? (laughs) I'm going to start a new one competing. (laughs) Love it. Well, we have have the episode title now. I think that's pretty much (laughs) Set set SCE to podcast is also pretty great. Bradley in the chat. Throwing it out there. Yeah, there's some good ones. That's good. That's pretty good. We're gonna need everyone to just uh, tweet the, their failed podcast names at Gary for the next week. So. <laughs> I love oh, these. Wow. Okay. Jake, what you Anthony, been? What, what you, you been? Oh, I was oh. gonna throw it to you. I'm throwing. Yeah, it to we you. just co-opted each other. Yeah. This, this, this is this is what happens. Time? If you ever want to know what happens anytime two Canadians talk to each other, this is what it feels it's like. Just it's keep just like, oh, back no, forth. no, you go. No, you go. It's you. That's fine. It's fine. Uh, okay, I'll go first. I'll go first. Um, 
I'm trying to think. So I think the only since we last talked, we put an episode with you in the We Martians feed. Oh, yeah. So we talked about clips. It was very fun. Uh, commercial Lunar Payload Services, uh, which is a pretty interesting program. We checked in on how some of the people are doing. Some are doing great. Some not so much. That's how that goes in a program like that. Um, so it was a good conversation, and I'm excited about it. Uh, I, I may not have one for a week or two. We're going to see how my internet connection holds up. I'm I'm out in the country now, and I got Starlink thing going on, and it's it's very interesting. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, see how your streaming does the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. It might yeah, just lose yeah. you we'll randomly in the show. I'm gonna have to come up with a lot it, of backup content just in case. Yeah, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to have a, a a call with all the stakeholders about the communication plan once <laughs> the once Jake drops off like the call. Four yeah. and five. We had to move the time slot based on like satellite movements. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll need to get everyone to tweet at Elon Musk when I drop out. That's gonna be how. <laughs> Uh, yeah. What are you working on, though? Uh, I had two conversations recently. Neither of them are on the podcast feed yet, but they'll be coming out soon for un- uninteresting scheduling reasons. Uh, one, I think I mentioned on the show I did with you, I talked to people from space exploration engineering that do trajectory and flight operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, they worked on the photon side of the capstone mission that just went out. So they were flying, helping figure out trajectories, flying photon on its way to drop off capstone that's heading to the moon. Uh, and they just worked on the uh, KPLO, that Korean orbiter that's going to the moon right now. So really cool talking about trajectories to get to the moon. Uh, they're refuting some of the like, oh, this is a very low energy way to get there. And they're like, no, what that means is it just you didn't pay for that energy. Somebody else did. So uh, there's some really good <laughs> stuff in there. And then uh, just this week, I talked to Rick Mastracchio, who is a legend of an astronaut, but now works at Northrop Grumman uh, and is running the commercial space station program there. Uh, about their i'm doing the this might completes the circuit of the commercial space station mm-hmm. uh, yeah you've been going offers. through them right yeah, yeah. so this will be completing the four circuit although axiom has, a, has had a couple episodes but uh and i told you this jake this is the first time i've talked to somebody who i watched fly off the earth in person uh which i felt <laughs> like was a cool milestone so i saw him fly on sts 131 and finally got to ta- chat with him so uh that was a pretty good one so that's coming out soon you should see in the next couple of days okay cool so, oh tell we're gonna be in florida Gary won't, but we will. Sorry, Gary. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So um, just as a reminder, uh, Artemis One, uh, we are going there. We're going to go uh, to Florida to watch it, and we love to hang out with everybody. So if you want updates on uh, any kind of the meetups that we're planning, uh, we're still the details are still in motion, but just head to offnom.com slash events. You'll see that link there. It takes you to Artemis One launch events, and you can put your email address right in there. And we will send you all the information you need to know about where to go, what time, all that kind of stuff. So we hope to hang out with a lot of people and it should be lots of fun. Um, and we should also mention we're taking a break next week. So this is yeah. our second summer break, uh, partially because I'm moving and partially because uh, uh, it's summer and everyone should go outside and have a barbecue and have a hamburger. Um, <laughs> and you know, get some fresh air before it gets cold again, I guess. <laughs> so and that's we'll it. Back to 25th. Yeah. That's so it. thanks, Gary, for, for hanging out with us. This is an awesome conversation. I feel like I learned a lot. This is good. So, um, yeah. Good. Yeah, I had a blast. I knew I would. Thanks, guys, for having me. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. End of death.